Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have any questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. All right, if you take your Bibles with me, Matthew chapter 20 is our text this morning. I'm glad that you're here. My name's Dan, one of the pastors. It's a privilege to serve you and share God's Word together. If you're here in person or you're joining us online, good to be together. By the way, let me just make a note of this. Here's something that happened because you gave. Here's a picture of a vehicle, Roy and Faith Hill serving the Lord in Africa. And they needed a vehicle, and they purchased that vehicle. It's a diesel uh, four-wheel drive vehicle that is going to get them out into the villages. And you, as a congregation, um, took the majority of the load of that responsibility and, and paid for that vehicle. And they are now uh, able to take uh, Jesus film, uh, missions, uh, medical missions, those kinds of things, into some remote villages. So thank you so much for that. Congratulations for just your faithfulness. So grateful. Matthew chapter 20. We're starting a new sermon series entitled Keeping Score. Now I know that part of what we do in upward soccer, especially with the, the, little, the little tykes that are playing, it's, it's like a soccer field and there's a ball that's kicked around and it's just kind of a little beehive of of kids that follow this ball around um, don't officially keep score but I'm telling you if you're on the side if you're on the field if you're on the sideline those people know what the score is right so the other day it was our first the first game I stopped by there and I, I walked up and I said something about I know we don't keep score but um, um, how are things going here today uh, we don't keep score and about three or four of the parents go, we know exactly what the score is and so do they we keep score. In life, we sometimes keep score. And there are things that we're going to be talking about in these next weeks about keeping score. Today we're talking about keeping score in our relationship with God. Keeping score with God. What do we think that God owes us? What do we think God owes us? Next week we're going to talk about this keeping the score of offenses. And we come up with what we think others owe us. We've recorded our, our, our offenses against what, what do others owe us. The, the following week after that, keeping score of finances, what we think the world owes us. The week after that, keeping score of serving, what we think the church owes us. That one's going to be fun to preach. The final week, keeping score of guilt, what we think we owe ourselves. So we're talking about these topics. And then just for some of you that want to know where we're headed um, after this, after this series, we're going to be launching into an exegetical run through the book of James. And so, uh, again, just encourage you to start preparing your, your mind and heart to, to receive what God has from, from the book of James. That's later this fall. Today we're looking at one of Jesus' parables as recorded by the gospel writer Matthew. Now, parables are short stories that convey a spiritual truth 
uh, spiritual truth or a moral truth, um, analogy or comparison drawn from, from everyday life. Uh, it's, it's a form of um, indirect communication, I guess I would say, intended to pull the, the hearer into the truth. And so you get involved in the story, and then all of a sudden, pow, you realize, oh, I am a part of this story. This thing is, is addressing a need that is, is in my life. Um, and so this parable, um, not, not every part of the story means something or represents something, but um, it, it's a story that, a parable that Jesus told that helps us to understand what he's trying to teach us. Now, in this case, and in the case of many of Jesus' parables, the, the listener has a tendency to, to put their defenses down. But as the story develops, and usually at a point that's too late in the story, you realize it's, it's, it's about you. I want you to put yourself into this story, thinking through it. Matthew chapter 20, verse uh, 1 is where we're going to start. I'm going to ask if you'll stand with me as we read God's Word today. Let's stand and read God's Word. Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. Apparently, they didn't hear last week's sermon about work, right? He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. They worked for an hour, received a day's pay. So when those who came, so when those came who were hired first. They expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only an hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Lord, help us to understand your word and apply it to our lives. Guide my words and our listening. Lord, work a miracle between what leaves my mouth and what ears hear that you would direct your truth to our lives and whatever you say to us by your grace, that is what we'll do. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we look at this passage of Scripture, I want to back up to chapter 19 and talk about a little context here. Some context. In the preceding verses to this text, uh, people are bringing children to Jesus and he's blessing them. Now, the disciples aren't particularly fond of that because they think that the kids are getting in the way. And so uh, they rebuke those parents, those children, and say that's not what um, the way this whole thing's supposed to go down. And, and Jesus sees that and he rebukes them, the disciples. And he says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So context, all right? And then he moves on and, and encounters a rich man who comes to him and says, Lord, I've been following you since I was a child, and you know, must, what must I do here uh, to get eternal life? And Jesus tells him you know, to te- keep all the commandments. Um, and the, the rich man looks at him and he says, listen, I've, I've been doing all that. I think it would be good at least to pause long enough in this text to say, how are you doing at keeping all the commandments? All right. Um, this young man, wealthy, had done all those things since he was, he was a youth. Not the point of the story, but I think to think about how, how if you were keeping score on yourself in the, in the commandments, how are you doing in keeping the commandments? Well, Jesus looks at the man and he goes, oh, well, um, you've done those since you were youth, then sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And when the rich man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. He refused to give up his money to follow Jesus. And then right after that, Jesus continues to teach his disciples, tells them how hard it is for a rich person to enter heaven, saying it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. You get the point. Um, here's, Here's what it is. Children who have nothing to offer are close to the kingdom, and rich people who have it all are a long way from it. Interesting. And then Peter, who's witnessed all of this, I'm still in chapter 19, he, he's, he's witnessed all of, of the things we've just talked about. He's thinking it through and he says, the Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, through renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And so we hear those words again. The last will be first and the first will be last. Peter says, we've given up everything. And Jesus says, you're going to receive plenty. I'll take care of you. Your sacrifice will result in eternal reward. So now with that in the context of, of this text that we've just written, or we've just read, let us begin to understand what he's saying. Um, the truth is that the context leading into Matthew 20 where Jesus tells this parable, known as the vine- workers in the vineyard, is putting the idea of the kingdom of God in in an upside-down way from the way we normally think about it. In the parable, God is the landowner who's hiring workers for his field. So the 
the owner hires people at the beginning of the day, it's 6 o'clock in the morning, a work day, <clears throat> from 6 to 6. 6 o'clock in the morning, he goes out, he hires workers, and he, the agreement is that they're going to work from 6 to 6, and indeed he'll pay them a denarius. A denarius was uh, the common fair wage for someone to be paid for, for a day's labor. And so he, he agrees to do that. And then throughout the day, the, the landowner continues to hire workers. So about the third hour, the landowner sees people standing around. So it's not 6 o'clock anymore, it's 9 o'clock, and he goes out and he hires some more. They got hired at 9. About the sixth hour, landowner goes, sees people standing, he hires them. So that means they got hired at around 12 noon. The ninth hour, he hired some more. People got hired around 3 o'clock. And the 11th hour, so around 5 o'clock, an hour before quitting time, he hires more people who were standing around, and they, and they got hired. The landowner agrees to pay them, and Scripture says, I will pay you what is right. He agreed to pay those working all day a denarius, a wage uh, you know, suitable for a day's pay. But he said to the rest, I'll pay you what is right. And frankly, uh, the landowner is surprised, puzzled that they're not working. There's a lot of work to do. And so when it comes time to pay, he puts his foreman in charge. And he, he, he calls his foreman to settle the accounts, and the laborers are given their wages, beginning with the, those who were hired last. And so they've worked for one hour, they come in, they're ready to be paid, and the foreman gives them a denarius. He gives them a full day's pay for one hour's of work. One hour of work. Now that's, I mean, they, they're amazed, they're excited, they're thrilled about how, how that's working. They're, those, they're, they're paid at the end of each day, and these men are, are, that only worked for an hour, they're the ones paid first. And to their amazement and everyone else's, they're paid for a full day. They're elated. They're elated. And then those who work for the landlord all day, they, they see that and they say, oh, this, this landlord is generous. He paid them a full day's pay for uh, one hour of work. I mean, what they were expecting, what they thought the landlord was going to owe them was, was an incredible amount of money, more than a denarius. And so they were excited about what was going to happen to them. It's interesting that he paid the, the folks that came in at the 11th hour first. If the first workers had been paid first, they wouldn't have had time to develop the expectation of more pay for themselves. They would have been paid and said, hey, I got what was coming to me, and they would have assumed others got less. They may have wondered why they weren't paid first. I mean, they were there. They worked the longest. The, in the heat of the day it probably should have been. They thought in their mind, paid first. Oh, well, he's just doing it backwards. But it appeared that they used their waiting time in considering their own superiority to the latecomers. So when it came time to pay those who were hired first, who'd worked all day, they got paid exactly what the landlord had promised them, a denarius for a day's work. They thought they should have got paid more, and they began to grumble. They were disappointed in the landlord. They were disappointed. They didn't think that based on their performance, their commitment, their time in the field, their effort, that they got paid what they should have. There were others who worked much less and got the same amount. They complained against the landlord, took up their complaint to the landlord. They were offended even that the landowner gave the men who worked less equal pay to those who had borne the burden in the heat of the day. Look, I get it. It'd be easy to sympathize with those who had worked all day. They worked while others were idle. They worked when others were sitting in the shade. The landowner said, I'm doing right by you. I told you what I would pay you. I paid you all of it. It's what we agreed upon. 
He'd been completely fair. He hadn't broken his promise. Landowner doesn't explain why he did. He just simply said, that's what I wish to do. That's what I wish to do. Now, in light of what Jesus has said right before this, the disciples are starting to get the idea that, oh, maybe this story is about us. Maybe it's about me. And the point begins to sink in. Are you getting the point of the parable? Some people are disappointed with God. Some, some of the laborers were disappointed with the landlord. The landlord in our story is God. Some people are disappointed with God. They've been faithful to God. They've heard the call to follow Christ, but things haven't always worked out like they thought. They've worked hard and long. It seems like there's other people, even other people who are in the, who've been hired, who are part of the vineyard, haven't worked nearly as long, and they got greater blessing in proportion than a person who has served God all their life. Why is it that this person seems to get God's blessing in their life over and over again? Why is it? And people begin to keep score. Sometimes disappointed with God. Disappointed with God. What does disappointment with God, if we were laborers who've been hired early, what does it look like? What, what, are the, what does it indicate? Well, first of all, disappointment with God reveals our thoughts about salvation. Some people think that salvation is based on what I do rather than what God does. But if you have been saved, God has saved you by His grace. He wishes all that were saved and come to faith in Christ. He's looking all day long, um, early, um, a few hours later, midday, in the afternoon, even right up to the last hour, he's looking for people to come to faith in Christ. The, the central message of the Bible is the gospel. Jesus died for our sins, and if you repent and believe in him, you're saved from the penalty of sin that we all deserve, and instead they receive eternal life. And so some people come to faith at an, at an early age, some on their deathbed, but everyone who believes receives eternal life. So the, a small child that receives Christ um, comes to know Jesus and, and, and receives the promise of God. And indeed, a, a thief on the cross, in the last hours, minutes maybe even of his life, turns to Christ and, and has faith in Jesus. And he too gets the full benefit of saving grace. I love the way uh, Alistair Begg talks about this in one of his sermons, trying to, in his mind, think about what went on when that thief got to heaven. Remember, two thieves, one on either side of Christ, being crucified, and they're hurling insults at Jesus. And at some point, though, one of the thieves looks to Jesus and he says, um, you know, remember me. When you get to paradise, when you get to your father, remember me. And Jesus looked at him and simply said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. And so he shows up in heaven. Alistair Begg talks about what that might look like. So uh, here comes the thief on the cross, and he shows up, you know, in heaven. And the angel greets him, and he goes, And what are you doing here? How did you get here? And the thief in the crowd goes, I, I don't know. Well, what... I mean, why, why are you here? You, I mean, all your life, I mean, 
you've, you've done all kinds of evil and whatever. What, what do you, why are you here? And, and so the conversation goes on. And so finally the angel says, well, I'm going to have to go get the, you know, the lead angel, you know, the, the supervisor angel, figure out what's going on here. And the supervisor shows up and he goes, what, you know, why are you here? And he said, well, let's just start with the easy question. What do you believe about you know, the doctrine of justification? The guy was never heard of it. I have no idea what you're talking about. He goes, well, what about, what about the authority of Scripture, the doctrine of Scripture? What do you, I mean, these are important stuff. What about that? And he goes, Thief of the Cross, I have no idea what you're talking about. Are you a member of a church? Have you been, have you been baptized? You know, what do you know about any of this? He goes, I, I don't know. He goes, why are you here? And the Thief of the Cross simply says, I, I can't answer those questions. I can tell you what that's all about. All I can tell you is, the reason I'm here is the man on the middle cross told me I could come. And when I think about that, at the last hour, the 11th hour, maybe the, the last minutes of his life, he turned to Christ. He received the full blessing of God. He got the full day's pay. If we resent sometimes, there are people who say, well, listen, God owes you more because you were saved when you were young. There are some that might even resent those who later in life converted to Christ and, and were redeemed. And we think that somehow we deserve more. It shows that in some we, we've earned our salvation, and that could never be true. And so if it's undeserved grace, then our response should be gratitude. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We're saved by what Jesus has done, not by what we have done. And so if you truly understand the gospel, we know that all are saved by grace. Salvation is a gift to all. Nothing is earned. Sometimes this whole idea of keeping score with where God is, this whole idea that it, it, it will reveal our thoughts about salvation, that even though we say we're saved by grace, we're thinking that we're helping ourselves along by, by working and toiling, and we've been at this thing for a long time, and so we deserve more. There's something else I think the story teaches us. It helps describe our attitude when it comes to living for Christ. Those hired first said, we worked the longest, we worked during the heat of the day, we carried the burden. What we did was so hard. And there's some people, I think, that, that would say living for Christ is so hard. Indeed, Christ said, pick up your cross and follow me. He did say that. It, it, will, it will cost you to follow Jesus. But the truth is that living for self and Satan is going to cost you more. That's hard living. Not knowing that you're hired is ungood. Have you ever been without a job? Have you ever been unemployed and you were desperately seeking a job? You know the, the sickening feeling of not being chosen. And yet in this picture here is, is people who are, are, are been, have been chosen. Being out of a job is not a good place to be. Knowing, not knowing that you're saved is ungood. Being outside the family of God is not a good place to be. Some say, well, we're on this narrow path to heaven. Poor us. This, this narrow path, it's, you know, poor us. What would you rather be on? The wide path to destruction? See, does it make sense? These folks have been having a world of fun. You know, why's the devil got to have all the good music? Why, why do all the sinners have to have all the fun? Sometimes there's this attitude. 
I remember as a young boy, foolish as I was. One time, being challenged by my grandmother about living, living for Jesus. And I'd accepted Christ as a young child, but can I say I was, do, I was, I was, I was um, sowing my wild oats. Can I say it that way? <laughs> sowing my wild oats. And she was trying to get me on the straight and narrow. She wanted me, you know, in the field working. She, she was trying to line me up. And, and I, I remember foolishly saying to her grandma, I said, you know, if I could figure out when Christ is coming, let's say 12 o'clock, I just have fun in this world, and then about 11.30, I get right with God. Um, that was one of those days I spent a little longer at her table. <laughs> she had some things to tell me. And she said, but son, what happens with your 11 o'clock plan if the Lord comes at 10.30? Or what happens if you die at 9 o'clock? I had to rethink all of that. See, my, my point, my, my idea was that I had this attitude that living for Christ was hard and I wanted to have fun. I wanted to live like the world. I, I, wanted, I wanted to do the things that I wanted to do. I didn't want anybody telling me what to do. Um, what does it say about our attitude of living the life of faith? Being in relationship with God, following Jesus, walking in His Spirit. You say, poor me, I'm a Christian. Folks, I can tell you this, you can have, Christians ought to have more fun than non-Christians do, you know, and Christian, Christians have more fair, fun by accident than most non-Christians do on purpose. And here's a good side effect to the whole thing, you can remember it. You have a family and you feel loved. You can have faith and be secure in it. And Philippians chapter 1 verse 21 is true, for to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Living for Christ is a privilege, not a chore. It's better to live connected to Christ than apart from Him. Jesus said He came to give us life, life to the full. Not life to the empty, life to the full. Do you remember how, God good, how, God, how good God is? You can talk to Him in the morning. You can walk with Him during the day. He keeps you from, from sinning with the power of His Spirit within you. He gives you strength to live. He produces fruit in you with His Spirit. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's a shield and defender. He's, he's a gentle shepherd. He's your mighty roaring lion. And, and just the same, the same strength, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And, and even as He lived after he died on the cross, he, he rose again and lived. He's, he's promised to give you and me eternal life. Now, what is bad about that? Again, living, a, 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 walking upstream against the world. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not. It's difficult. It's hard. But I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He, he, he'll, he'll strengthen me to, to, to help me do what he's called me to do. People often look back and regret how long it, it took them to accept Christ. They wish they'd have done it sooner. And yet there's some people, their, their whole attitude, they're, they're keeping score with God and say, well, listen, it seems like, you know, there's people in my life, it seems like, you know, the, the people who aren't walking in faith have more money, they have more fun, they have, you know, they, they, they do things, they have more fun in their life. Um, this story talks a little bit about our attitude of living for Christ. When I was in college, 
working through um, paying for our college tuition. I remember working for the college, I think it was $2.35 an hour. Um, and so that's what I got paid. I was working in the maintenance department. I would mow grass, big Toro groundmaster with wings that float out, and I'd be mowing the campus, go to class. S- listen, suit and tie, 6 o'clock breakfast, 7.15 class start, had to be in a suit and tie. That's why I rebel right now. Um, and um, working our way through in the maintenance department. And one of the, one of the guys that I worked with was a, was a second career student. He also was, was in college. He was preparing for the ministry. And um, he worked in the maintenance department. And I remember one time he shared his testimony about how God had, had, had saved him, redeemed his life. Um, late, later in life, he was um, in his 50s preparing for ministry. And it was astounding to me, the testimony, the things that God had brought him through. Um, there was another gentleman there who had a criminal record, who'd robbed a bank, and um, these, these guys were preparing for ministry. And I remember him sharing his testimony, and I, at the end of his testimony, um, I, I told him, man, I can't believe the, what, what a powerful testimony. I, I, you know, I wish I had a testimony like that. Just the, the power of God's grace to, to bring him through. I said, I, I, don't, I mean, I don't, my testimony's not like that. And he, you know, he thanked me for my kind words. Anyway, later that afternoon, you know, I got both wings down. I'm, I'm Toro, you know, mowing grass. And I saw him start to work his way over and, and literally was on the run. He was coming toward me, and I thought, what, what's going on? Something happened in the shop, and, you know, I'm shutting everything down. And, and he comes running over. I remember he put a foot up on one of the tires. He said, Dan, i got to tell you something. He said, you told me this morning, you heard my testimony, and you heard this testimony of God's grace. And indeed, I... I'm a trophy of grace. God's grace has saved me, brought me from all these different things. He said, but the truth of the matter is, he said, I wish I had your testimony. I wish my mom and dad would have been Christian. I wish my grandparents would have prayed for me. I wish I would have accepted Christ. He goes, I have a lot of scars in my life because of of the things that have happened in my life. He goes, I want to tell you, I wish I had a testimony like yours. You have a great testimony. You see, those, those, if, if you've been hired early, and you say, listen, I've been, I've been carrying the heat of this Christian thing for a long time. I know what it is to have to, to swim upstream. Your attitude toward that is, is, is described. Don't, don't be sorry for that. Be grateful for that. Here's something else I think this uh, story teaches us. It explains our expectations about what we think God owes us. Do you think that God owes you something? Do you resent it when He doesn't answer your prayer the way you think He should? Or someone who may be working in the field with you prays a prayer, and it seems like every time God answers their prayers in new and amazing ways, and it seems like from time to time your prayers aren't answered. You get angry when others with less time in the faith already are giving testimony to blessings that you've not yet experienced. You see, I think when we keep score like that, it reveals our expectations about what we think God owes us. Can I say you say to you this morning, God is no man's debtor. He said, what I have done, 
To those who were hired first, he said, what we agreed to, I've been faithful to, to, to you, I was fair, I have kept my promise to you. I have paid you well, a denarius for a day's labor. The question is not that bad things happen to good people. The question is why do good things ever happen to bad people? The Jews couldn't say, uh, we're, we're descendants of Abraham. We deserve more from God. God, you owe us something more. In one sense, God has shown, chosen to show his mercy and grace because he is good. By the way, God does not love us because we are good. God loves us because he is good. Because he is love. He didn't have to send his son, he chose to. He didn't have to redeem us. We chose sin and darkness, but he hid. By the way, it's interesting that the landowner didn't pay those who were working. He sent his foreman to do it. Who's the foreman in the scripture? Jesus. Who paid who paid the price, who settled the account. He didn't have to redeem us. He chose to redeem us. He doesn't owe you, if you're a Christian, because you do a few good deeds. Okay, God, I'm going I'm to behave really good right here because then you're going to owe me something. That's not how it works. God does not owe us financial stability or great financial wealth. Indeed, he owns the cattle on a thousand hill, the wealth in every mine. He will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. But God doesn't owe us. Why does it seem like God, well, God, the scripture says he reigns on the just and unjust, but why does it seem like some people are blessed financially and others not as much? God does not owe us that kind of a an easy life financially. He does not owe us. This one's hard. He does not owe us a faithful spouse. He wants that for us. He desires that for us. God doesn't owe that to us. He doesn't owe us Christian children, even though we did our best to raise them in a way that honors Him. He doesn't owe us good relationships with our parents, siblings, or other family members. He doesn't owe us good health or healthiness in our families. Indeed, God is a healing God. The Lord heals. By His stripes, we're healed. He's paid the price for... He, he, there's nothing um, in, the, in the realm of sickness that God is intimidated by. Why does He sometimes choose to heal and there's other times good Christian people are not healed. He does not owe us that. He does not owe us children at all. He doesn't owe us an enthralling, emotional, spiritual experience. We talked about God owing us a faithful spouse. He doesn't owe us a spouse either. Now, God does love to bless but he doesn't owe us any of these things. Is there anything that you have been believing, even if intentionally, that God owes you? Are you disappointed with God? We're human. 
It's, it's fine to be human. There are things that you may desire, things you may hope for, but you don't hold it against God. Say, God, I'm going to put my cup right side up, and you fill it. I'm, I want to be, I, I pray regularly that, that your, your lives are under the spigot of God's blessing. I pray for God to bless you. I want him to bless you. We pray for that. Um, I've not seen the forsaken, you know, uh, the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread, and yet every week I get an email from Voice of the Martyrs and pray regularly for people who, because of their Christian faith, are being um, imprisoned and some tortured and some killed, even in this world that we live in today. He loves to bless us. Some people spend their lives trying to get God to owe them salvation or blessing or answer prayer. Job, in the Old Testament, chapter 41, verse 11, we find God stating a pretty important principle. He doesn't owe anyone anything. Who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the, the whole heaven is mine. No one has given anything to him which would cause him to have to repay them. God doesn't owe us anything. That should relieve us of the attempt to try and get God to, to owe us something or to have us do something where he could owe us. But what we do is have an open heart, a thankful heart, a humble heart. Sometimes our struggle is based on a, a limited view of who God is and what he can do. Maybe you've heard the story, the only survivor of a shipwreck washed up on a small uninhabited island. He prayed feverishly that God would rescue him, and every day he scanned the horizon for help, and there was no help coming. <laughs> Exhausted, um, he realized he was probably going to be there a while. Hopefully he could survive. He, he managed to build a little hut out of some driftwood to protect himself from the elements. He, he, he had just a few possessions, the food, or the, the, the clothes on his back and food that he'd scrounged. One day after being out scavenging for more food, he arrived home to find his little hut in flames rolling up to the sky. The worst that could happen to him got worse. Now everything was lost. He's stung with grief. God, what are you doing? You know, I've been praying. What's happening here? How, how could you do this to me? And early the next day, he was awakened by, he, he fell asleep exhausted and disappointed. And the next morning, he was jolted awake by the sound of a ship that was approaching the island. It had come to rescue him. How did you know I was here? Asked the weary man of his rescuers. You know what they said, right? We saw your smoke signal. You see, sometimes we say, well, God, you owe me this, you owe me that, and then, and then it gets worse. It's because sometimes we lack the greater picture. God meets our needs, but God doesn't owe us anything. Interestingly enough, we owe him everything. Our challenge is to have an accurate understanding of who God is and how he does things. He owes us nothing. We owe him everything. I'm going to ask the team to come, and they're going to lead us in our last song.
sometimes we get disappointed with God. And here's a parable Jesus taught that gives us a new perspective. I wonder, maybe with your heads bowed this morning, you would take just a moment. Are you keeping score? Are you looking around at others and saying, God, I've been faithful. I've been praying. I've had my cup lifted up. Why can't I catch a break? God, I've seen you move and heal in others' lives. Why not in the reason that I'm praying for? Lord, you know my heart. How I've wanted to serve, how I wanted to work. I've prayed, I've prepared, I've and it feels like the third grade schoolyard. I didn't get picked again. Lord, you know the desire of my heart. Your, your word talks about um, be fruitful, multiply, populate the earth. And all my life, God, I've wanted to have a relationship. And I'm single. Sometimes in our minds and our hearts, we keep score. I wonder, are you disappointed with God? Seems like others have an easy way. Don't have to work that hard and they get all the blessings. Seems like No matter what I do, I struggle. Lord, hear my prayer. I wonder this morning if the mercy of God's grace, you'd see a different perspective. My child, I love you. This world is not all that your life is about. You can still lay up treasure for yourself in heaven. Moths can't get to it. Rust can't destroy it. Thieves can't steal it. Be faithful with a few things. I'll trust you with more. But don't look at others. Keep your eyes on me. And I wonder if through his grace, some of your disappointments with God that he would erase What is it that in all your life you wish would change? Would you give it to God? Would you trust Him one more time? It's okay to pray. We're called to do that. Call on Him. And in the meantime, say, Lord, I trust you still. You're the landlord. You will do as you wish. 
and I'm going to be grateful and thankful. I'm not disappointed with God. I'm not going to keep score. But I'm going to trust. And Lord, even though the trials come, it's not me, but it's you in me. I'm going to trust in you. Yet not I, but Christ. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have any questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world 